it's me again, Angela Daly, your Rule of Law Rules podcast host with the next episode of our new series on legal technology. Welcome back to our regular subscribers and a warm welcome to anyone listening for the first time. You've tuned into the Rule of Law Rules podcast from the Conrad Adenauer Foundation. In this podcast, we talk to international experts about the rule of law in the age of digitalization and gain insights into recent developments in different parts of the world. After finding out about legal tech in the Middle East, Europe and Africa, we're traveling again, this time to Latin America with Dr. René Uruena. René is Associate Professor in the Universidad de los Andes Faculty of Law in Bogota, Colombia. He has been working on changing the judicial system in Colombia through the use of new technologies. We're delighted to welcome René, who will tell us more about legal technology in his region. Hello and welcome, René. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Angela. Thank you very much for having me and very glad to speak here today. We like to start and end our episodes with some quick fire questions to introduce you and your views on legal technology. I'll start a sentence and you can finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay, let's see how that turns out. Legal technology is my favorite topic because? Well, it's changing the world. The first time I realized the importance of legal technology was? When I tried to get from place A to place B and wasn't able to do it without a cell phone in my hand. And legal technology is not a new development for Latin America because? There's a really, really long tradition of technologists and technology optimists in Latin America coming all the way back to the 1970s. And that's something that unfortunately is lost when we think about technology in the global south in a way like we tend to be only on the recipient end of technology. Well, in fact, there's a whole ecosystem of technologists and technology for better or for worse in Latin America. I'll let you get away with that answer. It's quite long, but it's very interesting. (laughs) So I hope we could explore some of these topics a bit more in our main questions. Wonderful. (laughs) So can you tell us more about how you started to be working on legal technology? Well, I got interested in in two ways. So the first one is uh, how legal technology was changing access to basic services in Latin America. So my background is more in international law and human rights. And then when I started realizing that a lot of the discussions and a lot of the litigation that we were having was in fact being decided before the issues ended up, even before the the regulatory agency or the governmental agency, but rather they were being adopted through a certain use of technology. So that's when I started getting interested and I said, and I started asking myself, so how does this work? What are the effects of this kind of decision making? And then obviously a whole set of new issues opened up before my eyes. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is, and, and this became extremely clear when the judicial system started adopting a lot of these decision-making processes, algorithms and technologies that were being used in the private sector and that were realizing that we're having these huge problems and then the judicial system started adopting them, then evidently that was something that, that I had to research and work on. Because more problems were being caused <laughs> or, because, or because more solutions were being found. I don't know, hopefully yeah, we'll find out more. Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So is the concept of law tech or legal tech well known in Latin America? Or actually, do you use another term in Spanish or Portuguese for that matter? And if so, what do people understand it to mean? 
legal tech is used in English and it is used in a way more or less in the common in, in the way it is used uh, let's say in Europe and the US in the sense of using technology for a, in in the legal profession let's say generally but something that is interesting is that Uh, there's a whole set of conversations uh, occurring here in terms of not only legal tech, but how tech is used for adopting decisions that affect fundamental rights. And, and for that purpose, legal tech is not the term being used. So yes, you, you, we use the term legal tech, but when, we, when you speak, let's say, of legal tech in those terms, you're really not touching upon all the whole, the whole let's say, ecosystem of problems that may emerge. So yes and no, in a way. So is there another term used? No, not really. Not really. And we should think of something because there's a whole set of, of, ta of challenges that are not being tackled through the notion of legal tech, let's say. Okay, but legal tech in the way that it's been used kind of globally, do people understand what it means um, or is it still quite a specialist topic? There, there are two levels to this. So on the one hand, and I think you'd be familiar with this, there's this whole of new optimism in the legal profession towards tech, let's say, and then no one really wants to be left behind in the sense of everyone wants to be doing something uh, uh, along the lines of legal tech and, you know, new technologies and artificial intelligence and all that. So there's this whole, let's say, narrative of we need to use tech. And then in that sense, people understand what you mean by this. But there's a, another branch, let's say, of specialists of people working more within the the let's say the the profession and the judiciary and also in the human rights community they are looking at this in a more a precise way and that would uh, you know question this idea of legal tech in the let's say more optimist sense so there is in a way if you want i would say in latin america a whole normative dimension of using the term legal tech if you say legal tech it sounds very optimistic And people like me, let's say, who is, we are not that optimistic, then implicitly would say, yeah, legal tech, but A or B on C. Yeah, maybe I'm not as optimistic as uh, the fact that I host this podcast might <laughs> uh, suggest. Uh, but that's interesting, definitely. And actually kind of leads to my next question is, and perhaps a broader question around technology, legal tech, but technology more generally. Um, and how is technology changing the legal industry or sector in Latin America? And in particular, what's the response of the judicial system? Is technology going to support the judicial system? Is the judicial system or systems, are they interested in technology? Give us an insight into what's going on. I guess that there, you would have three different areas that need to be thought of separately. So one is a way in which, you know, legal professionals, law firms, and also independent uh, lawyers are adopting tools of legal tech to do what they do, let's say. And there you would have really most big law firms are adopting one way or the other certain kind of technologies, either, you know, document-based technologies or sometimes, and that you are starting to see that in the bigger law firms, you start to see some kind of artificial intelligence technologies kind of predicting certain issues, So you, you, you see that uh, there. So that's one thing. The second thing, though, is that this is kind of working its way to the judiciary. And there you have a whole, so the judiciary and the administration, let's say both. And then, and then you have there a whole set of developments, not a, so all around Latin America. So, and it's something that, that needs to be understood. So the second dimension in terms of the state and the judiciary, 
This needs to be understood in the whole context of the trend towards modernization of both the judiciary and the administration in Latin America. So even, even before you would have a you know, legal take and all that, you really had this dream, let's say, of the modern state in Latin America. And, and that's a key theme to understand a lot of things that happen in Latin America. So how do you modernize? How do you develop a workable, let's say, technocracy that adopts decisions not based in politics, but rather based in technocratic knowledge? This is something that is important from the 1950s in Latin America. And so even before legal tech, you would have these huge programs from the World Bank, from the Inter-American Development Bank, funding modernization of both the judiciary and the administration. So that's where the second dimension of legal tech, that's the context where, where this lands in. So this is a continuation, let's say, of this big project of how do we create a, you know, technocratic governance in terms of having the experts adopt decisions, have a modern bureaucracy, have a modern uh, judiciary, is, uh, and that is able to resist politics. And that's where legal tech appears in the context of Latin America for the judiciary and the administration. And so it, it's very easily adopted. So while, while uh, law firms uh, adopt legal tech in, in terms that is something that is going to be very familiar to a uh, listeners in other places of the world in terms of, you know, efficiency and being able to predict and being able to reduce costs. In contrast, in Latin America, legal tech is adopted by the judiciary and the administration in terms of following up this dream of modernization. So that's where it appears. And that's why it is embraced with such optimism and, and really with a, a bit of a lack of, 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 of a critical insight. So that's why it's, it's so important here. And it is being adopted. And then you start seeing uh, in different places, for instance, with the judiciary, you start seeing in different places in Latin America. So, for instance, in Brazil, you see, for instance, the Victor platform that was adopted by the Federal Supreme Tribunal and that it tries to do uh, something along the lines of analyzing uh, appeal text so that it is able to make some predictions. But you also have that, for instance, in Argentina with Prometea that was developed by the city of Buenos Aires. And through Prometea, that also this kind of technology is also appeared, for instance, in Colombia through the platform, the, the platform that is called in Colombia Pretoria, that does along the same line of triaging, let's say, doing, uh, selecting certain documents uh, in, a, in, in order to be able to make faster and more efficient the process of selecting documents. And there is also other kind of technologies in Mexico and also with the prosecutor in Colombia that do, you know, these kind of things. So the message, the message being, and I'll close here, yes, it is adopted, but the logic of the adoption is very particular to Latin America in that sense. And, you know, and this, I guess that this comes as no surprise to you, you know, the adoption of technology has several continuities with the social context in which they are adopted. So I guess that that's an example. Latin America is an example of that. Thank you. Yeah, that's a really interesting insight and maybe wasn't entirely known to me that the specificity. I want to come back in a minute to some of the specific examples that you've given, but I do want to ask at this point if there is this history of the adoption of technology for modernization and for creating a kind of modern state apparatus historically, I sense you may be a bit critical about it and about to what extent it's worked or not and to what extent divorcing politics from 
administration or the judiciary is successful or is even desirable. So do you have any views on that? I mean, yeah, I am very critical, but, you know, critical not in the sense that obviously there are certain tools that need to be adopted, but this idea of being able to deploy a, a certain kind of technology, let's say, and this is technology understood with large, not only legal tech, but, you know, a certain kind of procedure or technology that is able to solve or to depoliticize either administration or the judiciary, it, I mean, that's, of course, a lost quest. I mean, like, we know that that's not going to happen. And that, and, but despite that fact, what I find more interesting is how this is a recurring theme in the agendas of modernization in Latin America, and then how now this deployment of these very specific technologies that we're speaking of, like in this podcast, really just, you know, builds into that theme, this recurring theme in Latin America. So that's, that's kind of my take there. And in that sense, I think sometimes we might mistake the, the forest for the trees in the sense that we focus a lot on the technology itself. So whether, you know, the black box problem and all that, which is obviously extremely important, but then we need to think more historically in terms of a lot of these technologies to understand how they're used in terms of, of the wider agenda of governance and why they are adopted. Sometimes they're rejected eh, and, and how that happens. So that it's kind of, we need to, at the same time, look at the details, which is incredibly important, but then also to look at the more common themes uh, in, the, in terms of historical context. Another question that comes to mind and leads me a bit to my next big question is, where are these technologies coming from or the new technologies that are coming into the legal systems, whether it's judiciary or it's big law firms or even maybe citizen-led developments? Are they coming from Latin America itself? Are they being bought in from big global like tech providers? And in Latin America, in your view, what country is furthest ahead on developing and adopting legal tech? I think, so Latin America is interesting in the sense that, again, you need to understand the context, no? What you have is in the late 1990s or from the late 1990s onwards, particularly in the last, let's say, 10 years or so, you had a very fast process of regional integration of big law firms, uh, also with international partners, either in the US or in Europe. Uh, why? Because you had all these free trade agreements that were celebrated and then you create, so you started seeing a more common, let's say, Latin American legal market. The consequence of that, on the one hand, on the, on the side of the law firms in terms of legal tech, is that obviously these big uh, conglomerates started adopting similar technologies. And there, what you saw or what you start seeing was private providers of technology that were already providing, you know, like high-end technology to either American or European partners, they would provide the same technology to their Latin American partners. And there you have a, you know, a very traditional system of private providers with proprietary uh, algorithm and you know, like, uh, uh, technologies that then they would uh, deploy it or use it or allow use for Latin Americans. So that's on the one hand you have that. And there obviously, then, there you have global North provided, private provided technologies. But what is interesting, though, is that on the side of the judiciary and on the side of, of the administration, what you see a lot is a lot of publicly developed technology. 
and publicly in the sense of, you know, in-house, courts develop in-house. So for instance, Prometea, the example that I was giving you that is a, an Argentinian development. So our Prometea was developed by a group of people from Buenos Aires, but they are they developed this in, in, an, in an agreement with the University of Buenos Aires and with the judiciary. And it's public and it's publicly funded. And that, so and Prometea was in turn deployed, for instance, in Colombia, through a public agreement between the Constitutional Court and a university. So there is, is publicly provided. So you, you really end up having a kind of two markets. So up to now, and I'll close with this, up to now, for instance, in the public side of the equation, we haven't had in Latin America yet too much of a scandal or a discussion on how this, uh, how privately provided and therefore proprietary technology affects the provision of public services because a lot of this technology has been developed publicly in the sense that uh, it has been, been developed through public funds. However, in the private sector, you do have a lot of this technology that, that comes from either the US or, or Europe. So you have kind of two different uh, markets. Obviously, I don't think this is going to hold too much. Eventually, private providers are going to start selling their technology to public institutions in, in Latin America. And, and then we'll see because then, so there's a whole set of challenges there that I'm sure we're all going to discuss later on. First challenge, let's call it the first challenge then. What is the regulatory environment for legal tech in Latin America or specifically in countries that you know, like Colombia? I mean, is it regulated? Is it kind of falling within pre-existing categories? Is this divide between public and private uses of legal tech determining what legal frameworks apply to it or something else? So regulation is very extremely incipient. So we have very, very, very... Uh, like formal regulation in the sense that, again, a lot of these technologies, they are part of processes that were already occurring. So what you start seeing in different uh, areas in terms of not only legal tech, but in terms of the use of technology in society, you start seeing some initiatives in terms, of, for instance, of a convergent regulator. You start seeing this conversation, but Obviously, note that this is not only about legal tech, but about how tech is regulated in society as a whole. So that's one thing. The other thing that you see in terms of regulation is obviously the, the huge debate on content moderation in, in social uh, media platforms that obviously that permeates the conversation about technology and society as a whole. So in that sense, you're starting to see these initiatives of specific regulation. But note that this is not, not about Legal tech is about, you know, how certain, you know, salient challenges in society uh, about tech. I mean, so in, in that sense, you, you, you don't see uh, like specific regulation on, on legal tech specifically. But that, that is not to say, again, that Latin American societies are not thinking about regulation of tech because they are, but not about legal tech in that sense. Okay, fair enough. But what about legal tech, which is maybe being used by lawyers, perhaps in the private sector, and by judges as well? To what extent is either this regulated or are there issues with the professional ethics obligations, for instance, of lawyers and judges? Or is this something that hasn't really been considered or isn't important? I wouldn't use the expression, it's not important. I think that the issues have not emerged yet in the sense that, uh, that a lot of the challenges that typically emerge from the use of legal tech 
are right now, I, I don't think, are being read through the prism of legal tech, but rather from more traditional mindsets of, you know, professional ethics, independence of the judiciary, lack of resources for the judiciary, and all that. So in that sense, there's very little discussion, very little regulation specifically on legal tech, and certainly, and this is even one step further, uh, about legal uh, obligations, ethical or fiduciary obligations for the legal profession. That's something that is even further away, in, in my opinion. Okay, just going back to some of the actual kind of applications of technology or legal tech or law tech, however we broadly or narrowly we want to define it, what is your view of the impact of technology on access to justice issues in Latin America? Is it helping uh, to address access to justice issues? Is that part of the modernization kind of optimism that it will help with that? And what's actually happening in practice? So th there are two dimensions to this. So on the one hand, I, I think that it has the potential to help. And not only has the potential to help, but it is, if properly deployed, it would allow, uh, or at least that would be the idea, to really reduce extremely important bottlenecks that we have with the judiciary all around Latin America. In terms, for instance, of documentary use, or in terms of evidence, in terms of, for instance, hearings, and that, and, and to that effect, the COVID-19 pandemic was an extremely interesting, let's say, social experiment in the sense that you saw all around Latin America judges who would previously never have used, for instance, virtual uh, platforms, video conferencing platforms to do hearings, let's say. And then they very fast, they picked it up, a, a whole a group of judges, and I'm not talking about Supreme Courts and all that, because then we, we'll talk a bit later how a lot of the, of the legal tech discussion in Latin America is very elite. So big, high courts, big law firms, but that doesn't really come down to, to the actual uh, experience of the citizen with, ju with justice. But going back and finishing up the point that I was making before, really, so you saw that, that uh, using these platforms, it was possible and it made it possible for a lot of people to have actual access to justice through uh, through some of these platforms. So which proved in this kind of very impromptu social experiment derived from the COVID-19 uh, pandemic that judges were ready, citizens were ready, that it was possible, let's say, that you needn't. And that's that's a big challenge that, that became evident because of the COVID-19 pandemic, that you didn't have to have these huge projects with millions of dollars to develop a whole system for the whole judicial system, but that you could do iterative and very specific changes based on technology in very specific bottlenecks, and that could have a huge impact through technology in the judicial system. So, meaning that it has the potential. That's the first part. However, the, the, the big challenge there, though, is that this potential is, needs to be built, obviously, upon how much technology it has penetrated, uh, penetrated Latin American society overall. And there you have so underlying challenges, connectivity, quality, you know, the whole whether and how documents are scanned or in a digital form and also the you know a very, a, a, a very strong uh, formalistic legal culture that is, is is not so open 
uh, for this kind of changes. So meaning that it has the potential. We're not saying that change yet. We're not saying it. This is something that is starting to occur. Hopefully it will. But the challenges behind that is derived not only from the adoption of the technology itself, but rather from underlying problems of the, you know, the general adoption of technology in society as a whole. Okay, but can you give us like one good news example of where legal tech, for instance, a particularly promising example of legal tech helping to address at least one of these access to justice issues in your view? Yeah, no, there are several. So I, I think that so a lot of these processes are in, in, in a pilot phase. Like, like what, you know, if we would say, so if you would ask me, what is happening with legal tech in Latin America right now? At least in the judiciary is a pilot phase, let's say. And then in the private sector is a kind of an, an optimist phase. Let's say this is something that could help us, but we really don't know how this is going to help us. In terms of the pilot phase, I think that both Prometea in, in, in Argentina and Pretoria, or at least the pilot phase of Pretoria in, in Colombia, they have good news to tell. The thing is that it's such a small pilot up to now that we can't say that this is something that is that we will be able to scale this for it to have you know a, a structural impact in society. But as a way to think of possible uses, for instance, in terms of Prometea in, in Argentina, that has had an impact, and particularly it shows that it is doable, let's say. And, and so that's, that's something that is key. So my answer to your question would be, the good news is not so much actual impact right now. The good news is that mainstream, let's say, judicial leaders, politicians, policymakers see this and they say, hmm, this is something that, can't, that can be done. This is something that could be useful. This is not something out of a sci-fi movie, but this is something that can be done in Latin America with the resources that we have. So that's, I think that's the, the moment where we are right now. I wouldn't go, you know, much beyond that. That's great, though. Thanks very much. Uh, coming back to a theme that you also said you wanted to talk a bit more about, which maybe is the use and development of legal tech by elites, at least in other parts of many other parts of the world and possibly also in Latin America, we see a lot of legal tech, particularly startups, being funded by private equity. And maybe that links to bigger questions around who's funding legal tech, who's it for, who's using it. Um, so do you think that either specifically private equity or this perhaps more technocratic or elitist approach to um, legal tech is an issue in Latin America? Is it having an impact one way or another on resolving access to justice issues, for instance? I think that there are two uh, dimensions to that. So one is the, let's say, homegrown development of legal tech tools, apps, startups and all that. Up to now, uh, while the rhetoric, let's say, of governments all around Latin America is really we want to support this, this is something that we want, not only legal tech, but in, in all around, you know, information technologies. In fact, th there are not that many developments in legal tech specifically that you would say, yeah, this is something that the flow of capital towards these industries or this way in which legal tech is being developed by, you know, like this very close click 
of engineers and venture capitalists, something that along the lines of what you would see elsewhere. I don't think that that's an issue right now in Latin America. So that dimension. We'll see, because obviously this is moving very fast. And, and what you see is that in any case, technologies are starting to be used in the legal context that were used before outside the legal context, but now uh, legal functions are being discovered. So that's up to now, I would say, this first dimension that you're describing in terms of, you know, this how technology is being developed in, so homegrown technology, that's not an elitist problem up to now, I wouldn't say. However, then the second dimension is who uses this technology and for what purposes. And in, in that second dimension, I, I think that there is, so there is no doubt that at least the, the moment in which we are right now, let's say the adoption of, te- of new tech in, in, in the legal profession is extremely elitist. So it's big law firms, the judiciary, but the high courts and some specific uh, low courts that are tested as pilots. It's something that is pushed through multilateral financial institutions, particularly the World Bank and the Inter-American, uh, Inter-American sorry, Bank of Development. So it's something that is extremely top-down. If we would talk about this, with you know, most practicing lawyers, they would say, yes, that sounds interesting. Yeah, show me more or less how that's done. But most, let's say, practicing lawyers, most courts would tell you, yeah, that's something that that's, that doesn't affect my, my daily work. That's something that doesn't affect the way I approach my practice. That's why the COVID-19 uh, epidemic was so important, because that really was all throughout uh, the judiciary, all throughout the legal profession. Everyone had to jump into these platforms. And then, you, you know, you had this kind of change of mindset that perhaps is going to open up to a more bottom-up adoption of these technologies. But up to now, it's really top down. Now, let's look a little bit to the future, or at least the near future. I mean, what do you think is going to happen with legal tech in Latin America, either in the near future or the more distant future? And how important do you think these developments are going to be, either for legal tech or for Latin America, or more generally, globally? Perhaps it's more interesting if we think what what kind of Latin American, specific Latin American characteristics would make for a different, let's say, context. Whatever happens in the future, what is it about Latin America that might make it a bit different? Let's say that I, I think that that's a way to think about it. There are two things that are extremely that that I think would can give us hints about the future. So one is how. Latin American policymakers, including the judiciary, are more open than I guess, than I, than I argue, their counterparts, let's say in the global north, to radically adopt new technologies. So we are saying it with Bitcoin, let's say. Government that adopted uh, Bitcoin as, as actual legal currency is in Latin America. And I think that's something that, that is a characteristic precisely because of this dream of modernization. You know, this is the way to the, for the future. And then if we adopt this technology, then we're going to have really a technocratic uh, system of, of, of policymaking. I think that this is extremely characteristic of Latin American society, both in the right and in the left. No, that's, that's not something that comes, you know, the, the first big, uh, and I'm sure you, you've heard about this, you know, remember the, the first big experiment of cybernetics in Latin America was adopted by Salvador Allende, the left-wing uh, government 
uh, that was deposed by by Chile by Pinochet in Chile in 1973. So it was a whole thing and really modernization theory through technology. So meaning that again because this is right wing left wing this is quite characteristic of Latin America. My guess is that we'll see certain spaces in which Latin American states uh, or institutions become kind of experiments for adoption of, te of, te of legal tech that elsewhere wouldn't be possible. And I think courts are going to be a prior, let's say, a, a prime a candidate for that. Why? Because you have this techno-optimism. Second, you have a tradition for better or for worse, of very active courts. So activists in the sense of courts adopting decisions that have very deep structural impacts in society, meaning courts that are politically empowered, second. And third, then, and, and courts that are extremely backlogged, extreme, they have a huge backlog in terms of, of, of their docket. So it's huge, they probably huge. So you have that combination, that optimism, power and then this kind of, of backlog in the in, in the in the docket that's something that I would guess makes for a, a very important experiment there what kind of experiment I think I think most likely is going to come out from the, you know like this kind of documentary platforms that we're seeing and predictions of how to solve cases and that's something that that for instance we're seeing it, with Victor, for instance, this platform, this technology that I told you from the Federal Supreme Tribunal in Brazil, the STF, and then what, what, what Victor does specifically is it predicts whether a certain kind of appeal or judicial resource has or fulfills a particular requirement called the general repercussion requirement, meaning that it's something that, so it's a case that would have a huge impact in society. In order for the case to be selected by the tribunal, it has to fulfill with that criteria. But Victor is being used right now to predict whether a certain appeal, a certain resource that or, or doesn't have, doesn't fulfill that, that characteristic. We're going to see more and more uses like that, but that has a huge impact, you know, that, that's huge. And then that's the, that's the other dimension of the future in Latin America about the use of legal tech is because we're going to see that technology is going to be used in this very specific but crucial spaces of legal procedure, then we're going to see a lot of litigation around these decisions. And then that's the other thing that I see in the future in legal tech, let's say, a lot of standards perhaps are going to come up from Latin America. For instance, in Victor. Victor, the citizen, doesn't know whether his appeal or her appeal was decided automatically or not. You, there, you don't have a way of knowing. You know, normally it would be decided by a human or at least the first decision because, you know, it's a, it's a problem of triage. Ultimately, someone reviews. There is a human in the loop, in Victor. But you don't know whether the first decision was adopted by a human or by, by, by the algorithm. And then obviously, in my opinion, one should have a legal resource to know that. And then that, that is going to create litigation, that is going to create the standards, that in turn, I think, is going to, be, is going to put more or less a lot of Latin American case law on these issues in the spotlight because... Uh, so you'll have the experiment and then you'll have the violation of rights and then you'll have the, the, the adjudication and then I guess we'll have the, the conversation around that. That's what I would guess in the future, let's say. 
Well, thank you so much. I mean, really, we must uh, keep our eyes on Latin America um, if this is what's going to happen. Um, and as you've said, there's the circumstances really to make legal tech super interesting. And for anyone who has been living under a boulder, it's, it's, I want to say it's El Salvador that has adopted Bitcoin as its currency. And I think a very interesting example at the moment uh, in a whole lot of ways, political, economic, as well as technological, about what happens when a country decides to do something like that. Yeah, you're right. And, and then I guess that this also goes into how the adoption of these technologies also transmit a certain kind of message. So it is a tool for me, for political messaging. So for instance, the president of Salvador Bukele, Bukele, sorry, he has been traditionally signaling that we need to modernize, we need to, you know, that it's a pretty pro-market stance of regulatory modernization. And obviously Bitcoin falls perfectly into that narrative. So this is something, so what I'm trying to say here is that when you think of legal tech in Latin America, you also need to think of how legal tech is being deployed in the Latin American political and institutional context. That's, that's the key. There are continuities. And then on the contrary, or in contrast, rather, uh, this techno-optimism is kind of the message of, you know, politics is not important. This technology uh, appears uh, and is deployed regardless of what the political context is. And then my message is, no, it is deeply embedded into the whole institutional and political context in those terms. Thank you so much. And something that we would do well to remember probably everywhere, actually, not just in Latin America, we need to look at the pre-existing context to really understand uh, the use of technology and the decisions around technology as well, I would add. Now to finish, I have three more quick questions for you. So I'll start the sentence and you can finish it. So technology alone does not lead to more or better access to justice because? Pro the problems of access to justice are part of how society understands justice. And the role of technology is also a function of how society understands uh, justice in that sense. So it's really part of the of the whole discussion of the same discussions legal technology is still risky because oh because it's you know it's made by humans for humans and therefore it implies that it's risky necessarily and finally the rule of law rules because we have faith in the rule of law <laughs> thank you very much for joining us today Rene. thank you very much angela thank you very much to the conrad adenauer foundation for the invitation and obviously, always delighted to talk to you. So you've been listening to an episode of the Legal Tech series of the Rule of Law Rules podcast with me, Angela Daly, and our guest, Dr. Rene Uruenya. In the show notes, you can find out more about Rene, links to his activities, and more information about the Conrad Adenauer Foundation and its Rule of Law programme, which this podcast is part of. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel, where we will release new Rule of Law Rules episodes at the end of every month. If you like this episode, then please give us a good rating and tell your data law geek friends about us too. I hope you've enjoyed our podcast. See you next time.